Hey, hey, I'm your host, Wanda Diaz-Ramos, and welcome to another episode of Tender Grace, a faith-based podcast where we keep things real and have open and candid conversations about our struggles and sometimes epic failures in our Christian walk and how God's grace meets us there and equips us with truth to overcome our personal and spiritual shortcomings, even when life doesn't go as planned. Today's podcast is all about grace. Being that this podcast is called Tender Grace, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about what it is, how we get it, and how we sometimes take advantage of it and cheapen it. Now, this word grace is not a strange and unknown word. It's used by many people in both secular and religious settings like ceremonies, opening and formal prayers, um, benedictions, and personal stories. When we use grace with people, it's a way of us letting them know that we're not holding a grudge against them for the things that they did or did not do. We show people grace when they are late, uh, forget to do something, or maybe didn't do something just the way we wanted them to. This is especially true of people who are new to us. We affectionately call it the grace period. <laughs> but the grace that we give each other is oftentimes tied to our whim and mood of that day. So if we're having a bad day, grace is not likely to be given. So we lash out instead or we may not say something, but what we'll do is park the offense to be used against them at another time. The grace that man gives is conditional, it's unpredictable, and sometimes even used as a weapon to justify our feelings the next time someone does something to us. If we give grace today, we may not give grace tomorrow. But how man defined and uses grace is not akin to how God defines and uses it in his word towards human beings which is precisely why grace is commonly misunderstood and abused even in the Christian circles. Now, let me just start by saying, it's important to understand that the doctrine of grace stands at the center of God's word. It's actually foundational to the Christian faith. It's a thread that connects every book of the Bible and reveals how God relates to us. Now, a broad and common biblical definition for grace is God's unmerited favor towards man. Other descriptions that others might be familiar with um, is the love of God shown to the unlovely, God's favor towards the unworthy, and God's kindness to the undeserving people. So why is it important to understand grace from God's lens? Well, for one, it speaks to his love for humanity. God has two kinds of attributes, one being absolute, which basically means it's his essence, his nature, and who he is. And the second attribute is relative, which is how he relates to us. An absolute attribute of God is love, which is found in 1 John 4, 8. He is love and gives love. When God gives or shows love to you and me, it becomes grace and mercy, which is why you find that grace is often found together with the word mercy kind of like two sides of the same coin and love being that coin. God in his mercy does not give us what we do in fact deserve and in his grace gives us what we don't deserve. Now I'm going to share with you a few verses that speaks to God's grace. Exodus 34 6 says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Psalms 145 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Roman 5, 8 says, 
But God has shown us how much he loves us and while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Now, I get it. There are people who don't believe in God and perhaps have a hostile view of him. So they might find that uh, trying to understand grace from a biblical perspective is a mood point and not worth even discussing. But for the most part, what humanity desires is to have the favor, the blessing, and the grace of God. And so some might wonder, well, if God is love and he's good, then why would we even need grace? Well, in societal settings, we tend to group people according to their morals and behavior, hence the good people, the bad people, and then then you got the in-betweens, you know, the people that do, who are generally good, but sometimes do bad things. And so when we look at our lives in light of the bad people, we tend to believe that we are good and deserving of good things, but there's a problem. God says in Romans 3.10, there is no one that is righteous, not even one. And Jesus said, no one is good except for God. So what does this mean for us? On our own, in our human nature, no one is just morally correct and upright. But at the core of who we really are is rebellion against God. We're okay with God and we're okay with the idea in believing in a God as long as he doesn't get in our way. And that, my friend, is the tragedy of our human condition. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, you would be left wondering, but why would God even say that there is no one that is good? I mean, after all, can we all rattle a list of gentle, kind, loving, good people that we know. I mean, I could say that about my mom and my dad and um, my my siblings and many of my friends. I would consider them good people. But here's the thing. When the Bible says that there is none who does good, it doesn't mean that people are incapable of doing what is right. People can, in fact, do good things. And they are encouraged to do good things. They can be kind, generous, thoughtful. There are many who donate their time and money and resources to to take care of needy people and those who are disadvantaged. But here's the thing. What we do and who we are don't always line up. The good deeds that that are taught and instilled in us are usually done by the people in our lives not because we're born with the constant desire to do good or to be good. And so you don't really need to go very far to to see this for yourself. Ask any parent and they'll tell you that 90% of parenting is the constant repetitious job of training and teaching good behavior and instilling good moral values while correcting and undoing the bad, selfish, and foolish behavior. No one is naturally inclined to do what is good or to seek after God. So God doesn't measure the goodness of one human being to the goodness of another human being, thus rendering one better than the other. He measures human beings against himself, his holiness and righteousness. So no amount of good works can change the fact that all people are sinful by nature and God's word teaches us that we can never be good enough to get into heaven because of our good deeds. 
Our minds, our hearts, and our wills are controlled by our sinful nature. No one is born intrinsically good, and none of our good deeds are inherently good. We are slaves to sin, and sadly, many of us don't see it this way because sinful behaviors are dismissed, normalized, and even in some cases, encouraged in our society. God's grace is the foundation upon which the gospel message is built. He makes it clear in his word that we are made right with him through salvation in Jesus Christ, and it's all because of his grace and mercy, a gift that he gives freely without merit so that no one, no matter who you are, can lay claim to it because of something that he or she has done. Grace is available to everyone. It's a beautiful truth that God gives us. God's grace is the reason that everyone, both Christians and non-Christians, are able to receive the blessings of life and why a depraved world enjoys so much favor and kindness at the hands of a holy God. And so, yes, while grace is a free gift to you and me, it was not cheap. It was very costly. It cost Jesus his life. And so I want to share with you an article that I found um, entitled uh, Grace in the Old Testament by Zondervan Academy. And what I really liked about it is that I thought it did a really good job in explaining or further giving more information about what grace is. Quote, grace is intimately connected to the fact that human beings are fallen and thus deserve the wrath and judgment of God. Grace, we might say, is a response, an application of God's character and attributes to human rebellion. Grace is the aspect of divine action by which God blesses his rebellious creatures, whether through preservation, common grace, or salvation, special grace. It characterizes the manner in which he deals with those who, through their rejection of him as their creator and sovereign, deserves nothing from him and yet whom he still chooses to bless. In salvation, in particular, the character of grace is manifest. A loving God faced with the rebellion of his creatures desires to bring them back into communion with himself. Yet his holiness cannot simply allow their sin to pass without response. For if God allows our unholy rejection of him to stand, he is contradicting his own holy nature. The answer is, is grace action on God's part motivated by love and shaped by holiness which takes account of the seriousness of sin yet brings sinners back into communion communion with him end quote we sometimes think that because we're not personally experiencing the wrath of God or are seeing his wrath all around us that that somehow means that grace equates to God ignoring sin listen grace never gives us the freedom to sin because God does not and will not ever smile at sin. Grace is not God's way of telling us, hey, it's okay, keep doing what you're doing, even if it's the wrong thing. People who want nothing to do with God still experience his grace. And what that looks like for them is that God lets them get their own way. He allows them to live life without him. He will even go as far as allowing them to shut him out completely and pursue everything they want to pursue. Grace leaves the door open for salvation and redemption through Jesus. Grace preserves the life of the sinner so that God can keep trying to woo him or her to him. It's because of his grace and mercy that God does not give up on us. It's because of his grace that God still wants us and will wait on us. There are the believers who are saved, who seemingly understand this gift of grace 
and take advantage of it by choosing to continue with the same attitudes, lifestyles, and actions, thus cheapening it. Now, for the worker, for the record, the word cheap grace is not found in the Bible, but it's a term that is uh, used loosely to describe our attitude towards this free gift of grace. It's widely believed that the idea of cheap grace originated in 1937 by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He describes cheap grace this way, quote, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution, which means forgiveness, without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without the discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, end quote. And so there are some people who don't actually like Bonhoeffer's description of cheap grace because they think that he's implying Um, that somehow you have to do something to earn grace. But I don't personally think that that's what he's saying. I believe that his intent was to convey that cheap grace is to think that what God has done for us is not a big deal because sin is no big deal. And so for me, when we want to apply the promises of salvation to our life, but we live for self apart from the transforming work of Jesus Christ, we cheapen grace. When we talk about God, sing about him, quote Bible verses on social media and not actually have him as Lord over our lives, we cheapen grace. When we believe that we can continue in our sinful habits because we've already been forgiven, we cheapen grace. When we go to church as a religious practice just to appease our conscience, but have no desire to be transformed by God's word, we cheapen grace. When we profess to be Christians, but don't follow Jesus or be obey his teachings, we cheapen grace. When we say we're sinners, when we say the sinner's prayer as a way of getting into heaven, but don't really see ourselves as sinners who desperately need a savior, we cheapen grace. And guess what? You don't need to look very far to see cheap grace being lived out and promoted. It's everywhere. It's on TV, radio, social media, and yes, it's even in the church. It implies that you can pretty much live how you want to live, do whatever you want to do, add good deeds to our life. And because God is love, he is somehow obligated to be good to us and overlook our sinful ways. God is not some deity who is so far removed from humanity that no one can ever have access to him. He uses grace as a way of making himself known so that all people will turn away from their sinful, selfish ways so that he can give us new life in him where he is at the center. How you live your life reflects how you see God's grace. So ask yourself, do you value it or are you taking it for granted? Just remember, it doesn't matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. God's tender grace is ready to meet you there. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share with others. Until next time.